Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. You're going to try to tell that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. Were your parents wrong too? Savvy entrepreneur to the rescue! Congratulations, that really turned out well. I'm a really good job. I'm really, really, I'm really. You know, I wish I'd thought of that. I never thought of even one bit. How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here to your I wish I had the courage to follow my friends. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting on WLCB. 101.5 FM, based here in the greater Chicago-Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person or thinking about being one, this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a serial entrepreneur, and I've also advised startups and small businesses for the past 30 years. I'm here to share what I've learned and to help I have guests every week on the show who are also willing to share their stories and advice and resources. This week's guest is Troy Vossler. He's the co-founder of an accelerator based in Madison, Wisconsin, called Generator. And just so you know, the numeral eight is in Generator. It's an award-winning business accelerator, and Troy is here to talk with us this week about the role of accelerators, when an accelerator might be right for your business, some of the advantages they offer, and also some of the differences between different accelerators. Now, Troy, by way of introduction, is the co-founder of Generator. It's a turnkey platform for the creative economy that connects startup founders, musicians, artists, investors, universities, and businesses. The generator platform includes pre-accelerators, accelerators, corporate programming, conferences, and fellowships. And I'm sure Troy will share with us the differences between each of those. Generator operates more than 25 accelerators annually across North America, working with more than 100 startups every year. To date, Generator has worked with more than 500 startups and those startups in combination have gone on to raise more than 500 million in follow-on financing and employ more than 5,000 people. Troy came to Generator from the University of Wisconsin and there he was at the University of Wisconsin's Law School Law and Entrepreneurship Clinic, which was a program providing free legal services to startup businesses and entrepreneurs. Troy was also an undergraduate at the UW, where he founded what he says is the most cliche student startup imaginable, a t-shirt company. And yet, a tribute to Troy's entrepreneurial skills, it was a success. And today, the company called Scotty Nation continues to market a line of apparels that focuses on celebrating Wisconsin lifestyle. Now, before discovering his love of startups, Troy held brief stints at Qualcomm and Intuit. He has a BA, an MBA, and a JD from the UW-Madison. Troy, thanks so much for being on the show today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. You bet. Thanks for having me, Doris. Thank you for being with us. You know, I think the most natural place to start is to talk about what an accelerator is and isn't. You bet. 
So when we think of the word accelerator, we contrast that with the word incubator. So so let me kind of compare and contrast the two. When we think of an incubator, you know, typically that's more of a real estate play. It's it's about shared office or co-working space and some shared amenities. That could be anything from a shared, you know, reception function to shared printing services, uh, you name it. An accelerator is all of that, meaning we have office space in these 23 different cities across North America in which we operate. We provide office space for the startups and entrepreneurs that we work with, but then we're also providing an investment. So for our flagship programs, we're actually investing cash in exchange for equity. So we're actually buying a small number of shares in each of the startups that we work with through our flagship programs, and therefore we have aligned incentives with those startups, with those entrepreneurs. So we're only successful when those companies ultimately are successful because we share, we own some of their stock and we share in that upside with them. Interesting. Thanks for that. So uh, talk about your involvement and Generator in particular. Why did you decide to co-found Generator? What was the unmet need that you saw? Yeah, well, you know, as, as you mentioned in the intro, I had the fortune of starting this this very you know, cliche t-shirt company in college. So literally selling you know screen printed t-shirts with Scani emblazoned across the chest during my college years. And so that is what really led me down this entrepreneurial career path, if you will. So from there, my network expanded, my relationships grew and, and more and more doors open, open in terms of that entrepreneurial journey. And so that being said, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer and I enrolled in law school at UW-Madison, but you know, about halfway through my first semester, I just, I realized I, I didn't love it. I didn't really want to do that. And so I was lucky to be able to, to do and complete my MBA at the business school simultaneously, also at UW-Madison. And, and it was that hybrid of both business and law that I really did enjoy. I really did like. And so when I graduated, I joined the faculty at the UW Law School. It was a re relatively new program called the Law and Entrepreneurship Clinic, which is a free program providing free legal services to small business owners, entrepreneurs, startups, you name it. And law students, upper level law students would actually be the ones providing those services. So I was lucky to be what was called a supervising attorney to oversee the work of these law students as they were working with startups and entrepreneurs. And so that's really kind of the, let's call it the, the genesis of Generator. From there, I got to meet my co-founder, my business partner, Joe Kurgis. Now, Joe was also a lawyer, and he was representing some folks on the investor side, so angel investors. And we met actually by working on some mutual transactions together, both you know, myself and my law students on the startup side, himself and his clients on the investor side. And from there, you know, we just kind of hit it off personally and professionally. And 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 I'd say, Doris, that we had a a shared ground perspective that there just lacked a lot of efficiency for an entrepreneur to go from idea to incorporation, to growth, to raising venture capital. And we just thought all that could be made much, much more efficient. And, you know, I'd say in parallel, we had been admirers of, you know, what became known as the accelerator model. So for example, one of the people we really looked up to was Paul Graham, who was the founder of Y Combinator, far and away the most successful uh, and, and kind of godfather status of the accelerator genre, if you will, <laughs> and said, hey, I think we can do that here in Wisconsin. And so, you know, Joe and I, my business partner and I, we quit our jobs. We were fortunate to find a group of, of investors out of the Milwaukee area, and we have been running Generator since then, since 2012. Phenomenal. Well, you never looked back since, I guess. You know, I think 
as opposed to maybe incubators or shared office co-worker spaces where the business model is more about your business, you pay money if you want to park yourself and be part of that organization. Because you're taking equity, I assume you're a lot pickier about the companies that join your accelerator. What are you looking for when you talk with companies who are interested in being part of Generator? Yeah, you bet. You know, it is an investment exercise for us. So we are, we actually manage other people's money. So we we have uh, limited partners, investors who invest into our fund. So we have a fiduciary duty to therefore invest in, into what we believe are the best opportunities, the, the best startups with the best potential. And so for our flagship generator programs, we operate that in uh, Madison, Milwaukee, Beloit, uh, the Twin Cities, Cincinnati, and Lincoln, Nebraska. So that's our flagship model. For that model, we're investing $100,000 into each startup that goes through the program. And in terms of what we're looking for, you know, it, I really like this line, and this is from Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator. He talks about formidability, formidable. I'm looking for entrepreneurs that are formidable, and, and he, he gives kind of anecdotal, narrative-based ways of defining that. But for him, it kind of boiled down to, is this someone who gets their way in life? Meaning there, it's this perfect blend of, of capability, aptitude, emotional intelligence, you know, IQ, EQ, uh, and, and perseverance, creativity, curiosity, kind of all those things boiled together. And so... Fundamentally, we're looking for great people, great teams to invest in. Ultimately, we, you know, if we're not investing in good people, no matter how good your idea or how good your market is, you know, ultimately you have a lesser chance of success. And so we're looking for the team. We're looking for a large and growing market. You know, is this something that could potentially be a hundred million dollar or a billion dollar business at some point in the future if if people execute well and the market moves in that direction? And then, you know, all things being equal, we're looking for traction, and that could be uh, product development milestones, that could be users, subscribers, customers, revenue, uh, kind of you name it. And and I like to think about that as, you know, prove to me that the dog will eat the dog food. And <laughs> in other words, if you build it, they will come mentality is probably not going to cut it. Typically not, although, you know, certainly we have invested in companies that are, you know, pre-product, pre-revenue, where, we, where we've come to really know the founders and believe in what they're doing and their capability and aptitude around that. But, you know, again, all things being equal, you know, we see thousands of ideas. In some cases, we get more than a thousand applications from which we're only selecting five companies to invest into. So we go from a thousand down to five. And so for us, you know, we see so many ideas that I, I'm so, let's call it immune <laughs> to what makes a good idea meaning I'm willing to believe anything can be a good business or a good business model. And it comes down to that execution piece and improving it. And if it's so wow. obvious, you know, go out and, and build it, go out, develop it, go out and get customers, go out and get revenue and sales and, and go from there. Well, you just answered my next question, which was how many businesses apply every year and how many you take. But how do these companies come to you? How do they find you? And what's your process for evaluating all those hundreds of applications you get? Sure. You know, when we started in 2012, we were brand new. And so we didn't have a track record. We didn't really have any word of mouth or brand affinity, brand recognition around what we were doing. And so for our first cohort, this is the summer of 2012. And the program took place in Milwaukee. We had about 90 applications. 
and all of them were from southeastern Wisconsin, all from kind of the greater Milwaukee metro area. And I think that was to be expected. Again, we were, we were new. But, you know, as the years marched on, we were fortunate to get some positive outcomes for our alumni, for our portfolio companies. And that, that's everything from connecting them with great mentors, great corporate partners, great investors, helping them grow in terms of customers and revenue, helping them grow in terms of follow-on venture capital financing. And as we were able to produce those positive outcomes, you know, the word of mouth spread. And so, you know, now we're getting applicants from the Twin Cities, from Chicago, from Detroit, and kind of, you can think of it as, as we were building concentric circles outward from, from our base in Wisconsin. And as a result, our number of applicants went up. So we went from about 90 applica- applications in 2012, our first program, to, you know, today we get more than a thousand applications per program, but always been, you know, we focus on this concierge, what we call a concierge model of just working with five startups at a time. So, you know, more granularly, you know, today we're fortunate to get a lot of inbound applicants, people who have heard about us, people who have been referred to our programs. But then we really pride ourselves on a lot of proactive outbound recruiting. So today we have a staff of more than 60 full-time employees. That's country. great. Wow. Yeah. And so they're really deputized, even though they all run their own respective programs, you know, they're all deputized to help recruit for, for these flagship programs when we're in operation. So that includes everything from scrolling through business plan competitions, you know, university databases of entrepreneurs and startups, some of these national d- databases like AngelList or F Success or Crunchbase, you know, just looking for entrepreneurs that we think are stage appropriate and might have uh, some mutual interest in, in what we're doing at Generator. And then during normal times, you know, when, when travel was open, our employees would post up in different markets. So, you know, we'd go to Chicago for two days and we'd post up at a coffee shop or a co-working space and we'd solic- we'd recruit entrepreneurs to come sign up for, you know, a 30 minute time slot to meet with us and, and tell us about their business and ask any questions about Generator. And we would literally host these office hours in cities, you know, throughout North America. And, and that was a really successful approach as well. It's hard getting started, but once you do start, it's amazing how word of mouth helps because I'm sure you've had investors and lawyers and all sorts of people refer businesses to you because once they know you're out there and that you're really doing a good job, people are always looking for funding when they're starting up a business. And so anybody who can help them with that is is a popular person, right? Absolutely. You mentioned a couple times that these are the the flagship companies and that it's a concierge model with really five companies that you really focus on and nurture. But I'm gathering with all the different uh, platforms in different cities that you have that you have other business models, too. Talk a little bit about about that. Yeah. So to put a finer point, when I when I say flagship that's really the the core work that we do. It's it's what we originally started with, and you know it, it remains kind of what people know Generator for. And so let's just using Wisconsin as an example. We operate three flagship programs per year in Wisconsin: one in Milwaukee, one in Madison, and one in Beloit. And from there, there's kind of two flavors of program. So in, in all cases, we're investing $100,000 in some of those programs. We call it our traditional model. It's where where we are recruiting existing startups. And by that, I mean, you know, typically there's already an entity formed, incorporated. They already have a team. There's already typically a product or service that's that's being developed. And it's, in many cases, it already has customers and revenue. So that's for existing startups. They apply to that traditional program. 
We also, starting uh, last year, so for a little over a year now, we've been running what we call an accelerator studio program. And so what that is, is actually going pre-company. So rather than having an existing startup apply, we have individuals and teams apply explicitly without an idea. And then we select uh, what we believe are the, the best five individuals and teams. We invest $100,000 again, and then we help them build a, a business from scratch. Uh, oh, so wow, two models. that's amazing. And so wow. we, bucket both, we bucket both of those models under the flagship moniker. In addition, we have pre-accelerator programs. So these operate under the name G-Beta. So you can think of G-Beta standing for Generator Beta. And those are all exclusively for local companies. So this is the broadest program that we operate. So when, you know, when we talk about being in 23 different cities, that means we have a G-Beta in, in each of those cities. And for the most part, those G-Beta programs focus exclusively on local companies. So for the flagship generator programs, we're recruiting internationally, you know, worldwide for the best startups for the traditional program, for the best individuals or teams for the studio program. And then for earlier stage companies, we have our G-Beta pre-accelerator program, and those tend to be exclusively focused on local companies. So, th so that's a bit of the distinction. I'll also point out that for G-Beta, the pre-accelerator, we actually don't invest. So we're not investing, but we also we don't take any equity and we don't charge any fees. So G-Beta is a completely free program. There's you know, you don't have to give up any equity, there's no tuition or fees or anything associated with it. It's meant to just how can you know we leverage our network and relationships and experiences and apply that to even more startups at a local level at, at the top of the funnel, if you will. Wow. So a a couple of questions though. Are you looking for uh, particular kinds of industries? Yeah. Well, most, most of our programs, uh, I'll, I'll preface by saying all of our programs focus on what we believe can be a venture backable startup. And by that, I mean, you know, it's not your typical one-off restaurant or um, barbershop or coffee store. You know, what we're looking for is something that can, you know, if it's successful, and that's a big if, right? You know, we know the failure rate is very high, but if they're successful, in both execution and uh, bringing this to market and market, you know, absorbing it, uh, this could be something really, really big. And, you know, I said earlier, you know, loosely, can that be something that's at least a hundred million or even a billion dollar opportunity at scale? So a good example might be, you know, let's use, um, let's use like a consumer package good item. There might be a company locally that's built, that's developed a really unique um, organic peanut butter. I'm just making this up. And, you know, to start with, that might just be sold at local farmers markets or in, you know, a couple of boutique type retailers and grocery stores locally. For us, the job is to say, well, what does the entrepreneur aspire to and what are they capable of? Is this just always going to be kind of a lifestyle business, a more traditional small business locally and, and can be very successful and profitable? Or could this be the next um, RX bar or, you know, big hit consumer product at, at the national level? And so... That's what we're looking for. You know, someone who desires and has a vision towards uh, a high degree of scalability in what they're doing. And that could be anything from physical products like the consumer packaged goods, you know, genre to more traditional B2B software as a service, e-commerce plays. You know, we've done hardware, Internet of Things, medical devices, pharmaceuticals, diagnostics. You know, we're, wow. we're, we're very much industry and business model agnostic in terms of what we're doing. And, and for the most part, Doris, we want our cohorts to have a very diverse mix. So maybe that looks like one e-commerce company, one consumer packaged good company, one life sciences company, one uh, B2B SaaS company. And, and so we're kind of looking for that blended mix. 
with a few exceptions. So we do run a couple industry-specific programs. So we, I'll, I'll write all them off. We run a program specifically for insure tech. We run a program explicitly for education and workforce innovation. One for med tech, medical devices and, and related technologies. Uh, music tech, so these are music technology startups. Ag techs for the agriculture industry. I'm probably m missing some that I'm delinquent on. Uh, we've done them for 5G wireless technology, ag bioscience, but that gives you a flavor. So we have run, and we do continue to run a couple industry-specific programs, but for the most part, we have industry-agnostic programs. And so if you're an entrepreneur coming to us and you're going to generator.com, you know, there's going to be a lot of different programs that, that you can learn about and, and access no matter what you're doing. My, my understanding, at least, is that that is maybe a distinction between Generator and some other accelerators. Because I think there are accelerators that just focus on, for example, software development, right? I mean, yeah. I think that's what most people think of when they hear an accelerator. They think, you know, I, I'm maybe not a good fit because I'm not I'm not in IT. And that, that just sounds like that's a misconception people may have. Yes, I would agree. And some of our most successful companies, you know, uh, they're not in, you know, what I would call traditional software. Now, that being said, every business today has a technology component. So whether it's it's the channels in which you sell that, be it e-commerce or some sort of digital delivery, to how you market and acquire customers and advertise, you know, there's a technological element to every company. So it's it's hard, you know, is Airbnb a hospitality company or a technology company? Is DoorDash a food company or a technology company, right? I mean, the lines really start to blur here, but the reality is technology underpins all of these companies, no matter what they're doing. And it's especially true at scale. And so that being said, you're right. There are a lot of accelerators that will only do, you know, software as a service, or they only do hardware, or they only do um, food and beverage companies. Right. Uh, but, but for the most part, our programs are industry agnostic, business model agnostic, and, and geographically agnostic. You know, we're looking for what we think are the best opportunities, no matter what the, the business is and no matter where they're coming from. You know, I'm curious, too, about the kinds of services that Generator offers for businesses that are part of the platform. Talk a little bit about some of the kinds of services, both maybe the more measurable stuff, but also I'm sure there's some advantages that are kind of hard to quantify, but you know they're real. Sure. Well, I mentioned uh, there's definitely the real estate component. Now, that being said, all of our programs have converted entirely to a virtual format and, and they'll continue to be for the for the near future here. But normally, you know, pre-COVID, we are providing free office space to all the entrepreneurs that we work with. And so there's a big community element. You know, there's kind of this this positive peer pressure, I would call it, that's shared amongst a cohort of, of entrepreneurs and startups working together. For our G-Beta program, it's a seven-week program. For our flagship generator programs, it's a 12 to 16-week program. But the building blocks, which, which I'll describe, are, are pretty much the same across both of them. And, and those building blocks are, you know, you can kind of view the program in three components. The first is around mentorship. And so we curate mentors to come in and meet one-on-one -on -one with each of the startups, with each of the entrepreneurs that we work with. And these mentors range from, you know, serial entrepreneurs like yourself, Doris, to subject matter experts, alumni of generators, so people that can say, well, you know, I was in your shoes at one point and I went through this program. They include investors, so past investors in generator companies, uh, and then subject matter experts. So maybe it's someone who's really good at digital marketing, for example. So that's the mentorship piece. 
The second piece is really around advising uh, where we facilitate one-on-one team meetings. So at least twice a week, our staff member, our director focused on that program is meeting one-on-one with each of those five startups. And it's everything from, you know, helping them issue spot and, and flag potential roadblocks or things that they should be considering that maybe they haven't noticed to uh, letting the entrepreneur direct the meeting. And maybe it's around, hey, I could really use expertise or advice in this particular area. And then our job is one of air traffic control. You know, sometimes we might know the answer or we can have an informed discussion about a topic. In other cases, we might not know, but hopefully someone in our broader network is the perfect person for them to talk to. And even if they're not in our network, our job is to go fishing, go hunting for that entrepreneur to get access to whatever the resources that they need. And that can be at a high level, you know, very strategic level. You know, maybe it's saying we need our product endorsed by a major record label. And so let's see if we can navigate into a senior vice president at, at XYZ company all the way to the more tactical. Hey, we're struggling with how the, the taxation of cryptocurrencies on our uh, payment processing platform. How can you connect us with, you know, a CPA that understands that new space? So that's the second component. So biweekly team meetings. The third component then is around investment. So we help these startups put together and and polish a pitch deck along with a a narrative, a voiceover in terms of how to actually pitch their company to investors. And then we take them on a roadshow. We call this the investor swarm. And so during the investor (laughs) swarm, we set up one-on-one pitch meetings between each of those five startups and investors in our network. And so for that flagship program, each of those five companies can expect to pitch at least 85 unique investors. And these range from you know, individual angel investors to angel groups and angel networks to VCs, corporate VCs, family offices, kind of you name it. And, and they're pitching investors that are located throughout, throughout the country. What a phenomenal opportunity. Well, Troy, I want you to hold your thoughts for just a second. We need to take a quick break right now for station identification and a word from a few of our sponsors. This is Doris Nagel, and you're listening to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. This week, our guest is Troy Vossler, who's the co-founder of an accelerator called Generator with the numeral eight as the eight in the generator. So Troy, before the break, we were talking about some of the key programs and services that Generator offers to companies that are part of your community. One group in particular that I'd love to talk a little bit more about, because I think it's pretty unique for accelerators, is your focus on businesses in the arts. It's near and dear to my heart, but it's also intriguing because that's probably a an area where I think people would not think about being part of an accelerator. And yet you have a whole program that's been very successful. Talk a little bit more about how that came to be and what that entails. You bet. You know, so for the majority, for the the vast majority of our eight-year history, you know, what we started with and what continues to be what we're most known for is our work around accelerating high-tech, high-growth entrepreneurship. So entrepreneurs and startups kind of in that traditional definition. But about two years ago, a little over two years ago, you know, my business partner and I, we took a step back and we asked ourselves, you know, what's a category of entrepreneur that we think is particularly underserved? And we stumbled Mm -hmm. upon artists and musicians. 
And what, what was interesting is, you know, we do a lot of work with corporations, specifically around corporate venture capital and corporate innovation. And, and we have a whole peer-to-peer -peer group focused on, on, the, on the corporate innovation side of the house. But increasingly, those corporations were also asking us about ecosystem development and tech talent re recruitment and millennial attraction and retention from a workforce development standpoint. And so as you know, I made the earlier comment that no matter what your business is today, it will have a heavy tech component no matter what. I don't care if you're selling insurance or organic peanut butter, there's technology involved at, at some point in that process, at, at almost all points in that process. And so if you're, let's call it a legacy, an incumbent large employer in any community across America, you know, you're looking to attract and retain the best talent. And so it dawned on us to say, a heavy element is, or you know, I would almost make the argument that the job is almost a commodity, meaning there's plenty of six-figure jobs for computer science graduates in any city in America. And so then the question becomes, why would I want to stay in my city, or why would I want to move to another city to pursue my, my line of work? And I think a lot of that has less to do with the job and more to do with the atmosphere, the ecosystem, and the culture. So we really stuck on this word culture. Like how do we focus on creative placemaking? And so it dawned on us to say, if you're a tech entrepreneur, you have a fairly defined, increasingly defined path to go from an incubator or accelerator to angel financing, to venture capital financing, et cetera, kind of on down the path. But if you're an artist and musician, there doesn't quite exist the exact same path or, or set of resources. And if anything, right. you know, if anything, most of the resources that exist for these artists and musicians tend to be kind of charity cases, if you will. I was going to say, I don't, I doubt many venture capital firms in New York or in Silicon Valley have invested much in the arts and entertainment, but I could be wrong. But anyway, continue your story. <laughs> That's a good aside, Doris, because the word angel investor, at least this is the story I was told, actually came from Broadway. So this notion of someone who was a producer, someone who bankrolled a play, a production on Broadway, became to be known as an angel, someone who would come down and provide the funding to put on a production, put on a play on Broadway. And so, in fact, the word that we use today to talk about angel investor, which is very tied to tech entrepreneurship, is rooted in the arts. So I, I often find some, some comfort <laughs> in that backstory. But, you know, for mm -hmm. us was, how do we accomplish two goals? How do we apply the accelerator model which in my opinion has been very successful at fostering the formation and growth of tech startups. And how do we apply that to a different type of entrepreneur, in this case, artists and musicians? As a second order outcome, how can we help create more cultural activation, cultural activity in a given community as a means of helping attract and retain population, you know, primarily millennial tech talent. And so, you know, that was really kind of the genesis behind our art and music program. So today, we operate two programs. The first is called Generator Music. So Generator Music is an accelerator for musicians and bands. We operate Generator Music in Milwaukee, Detroit, and Cleveland. In Detroit, we have a really special, unique relationship with Motown and Motown Records. So we actually call it the Motown Accelerator, which is pretty cool in my opinion. And we get to work with the teams at Motown Records and Capital Music Group and Universal Music Group, uh, as well as the Motown Museum. So we get to, you know, play off the, the such richness and, and history and legacy of Motown. And then the second program is for visual artists. And we call that program fellowship.art. And today we, we only operate in Milwaukee, but we're, we're looking forward to hopefully expanding it to other communities. Uh, and that focuses on visual artists. So that could be everything from painters to photographers, filmmakers, and other you know mixed media genres um, 
that we're interested in. And so for each of those programs, I do want to clarify, uh, we structure it as a fellowship. So we, we give them a grant. We don't take any equity. We don't take any royalties or residuals. You know, our goal is to purely provide funding for artists and musicians to view themselves through this lens of entrepreneurship. You know, they are building a business. And so, you know, the program is less focused on musicality or artistry and more focused on, you know, how do you build that business? And it's everything from how do you pitch your craft to how do you build a social media following to what are different or creative ways to get your art out into the public and how can you monetize that art? Amazing, amazing. What a fun and visionary program. So I'm really glad to hear you doing it. You know, your your bio says you've worked with and helped over 500 companies, I think. Talk about some of the successes that you've had and some of the things that are common about these that have caused you to look at it and go, you know, these are probably some pretty good indicators of success. Sure. Uh, I'll give two examples. So, you know, one one of, uh, I think one of the most creative companies we've ever invested in is a company called Pretty Litter, <laughs> which is <laughs> subscription cat litter. So, uh, okay. so imagine, you know, if, if you own a cat, especially for folks in urban environments, you know, it might be a hassle to, to go shopping for especially a clay-based cat litter that might be heavy. And historically, it's been kind of difficult or expensive to ship, you know, through UPS or FedEx or the post office because of the weight. Mm-hmm. But it's a consumable product. You know, you know, every month or at a certain time interval, you need to replenish your cat litter. It's just, it's just something you have to do. And so Pretty Litter had, had really kind of two business model innovations. The first was let's make it subscription and delivered. And they do it via crystal-based cat litter. So because it's kind of a crystalline-based cat litter, it's, it's significantly lighter. It makes the economics of shipping it and transporting it much, much more efficient and, and effectual. So that's the first thing. And you can get it on subscription. So you know it's going to be delivered every month. The second thing, so I, I would call that a little bit more evolutionary in terms of what they were doing. The second component of their business model innovation, was, which was much more revolutionary, is that they added a diagnostic component. So this crystalline-based cat litter is treated in such a way that it will change color based on the acidity and alkalinity of the cat's urine. And then that becomes an early health indicator for a variety of of diseases or infections that your cat may have to trigger you to take your cat to the vet. Wow. Yeah, so that's a unique thing. So not only am I – I'm intrigued to buy this product because I can get it on a subscription. It's lightweight. It's delivered to my door every month. But now there's this added benefit that has this health – diagnostic component, which makes me as the cat owner feel you know, much more um, secure, confident about my cat's health. And if my cat's not healthy, I'd like to know so I can take it to the vet. So that company, you know, when they joined us, was doing tens of thousands of dollars of, of monthly revenue. Today, they'll end this year you know, with tens of millions in annual revenue. So they've just grown phenomenal, phenomenally. And I think it's just such a great example of kind of the, the creativity that is entrepreneurship. Well, so are, are they even part of your accelerator or have they graduated essentially? Yeah, they graduated. So they went through our program in uh, 2016. The company is actually based in Los Angeles. They participated in our generator program in Milwaukee in uh, 2016. And they've just continued to grow since then. And even though companies, you know, out of our program, to be clear, we're not working with them day to day, but we, we stay in touch with with all these companies. And so it might be us texting them or brainstorming with them or 
or helping them make a decision. And so we always want to be a strategic advisor with these companies, even years out of, of having been in formally in the accelerator. You were a main investor too in these companies, right? Yeah, yeah. So we get, and that's what I mean. We get to share in the upside and, and that's both, you know, I'd say for me, the most exciting component of this job is is seeing both an entrepreneur and a startup go from a, a much more nascent stage to just really growing and, and seeing the delight in their customers, seeing them grow in terms of headcount, creating jobs. And ultimately, you know, the end game is, is can we make these companies either profitable or acquired at, at, at some point where, you know, that wealth goes to the founder, to the employees of that company, certainly to, to our investors. And then can we repeat that cycle? Can we reinvest both the institutional knowledge developed from building a very successful high growth company, as well as the wealth that was created from that process? Can we reinvest that back into the community? Right. And then create programs like the fellowships you were talking about exactly. for yeah. artists, which is, you know, obviously, wow. Talk about a time where artists and people in performing and visual arts need help. Because they are, they a lot of them are struggling. So phenomenal. So all right. So I uh, we digress because I I know you were about to give me another example sure. of a success story. Yeah, another good example. Uh, it's a company more locally. It's, they're based in Madison, called Understory, and it it came to us through a, a student who recently earned his master's degree in atmospheric sciences from uh, the University of Wisconsin Madison. And, you know, we started down this path of, you know, he had a, a couple different ideas initially, all, you know, related to weather conditions, either air pollution or wind. And so eventually we said, you know, what's something you know more than anyone else? What do you know more than anyone else? And he said, all my master's degree research was around hail. And he said, well, that's unique, but, you know, tell us about hail. And he says, you know, the, the status quo is that hail is measured at the satellite level when, it, when hail is in the clouds. But we don't have a lot of what meteorologists call ground truth of where that hail actually lands. And when it's hailing, it tends to be, you know, severe weather conditions, a lot of wind, thunderstorms, et cetera. And so the distance between where that hail is detected in the cloud to where it falls on the ground can even be a, a disparate distance of miles because of the, the wind conditions. And so we said, well, that's interesting. You know, how could we solve that? And so he developed a, a hardware device that's essentially a weather station that accurately detects ground strike hail. So it looks like a sphere with strain gauges on the inside, and it, it detects the presence, size, and velocity of that hail. And then they're deployed in a, in a mesh-like grid, which allows them to have more granular readings about where that hail actually landed to improve both weather predictions. But then there's a whole other line of business, which is around insurance. So today oh, they offer exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Insurance companies would love this. So today they offer products, everything from uh, auto insurers, including you know car dealers who have a lot of automobiles to insure on their and their lots during potentially a hailstorm to new roofs as you know, on homes and businesses as you can imagine and even crop insurance how you know hail can have damaging effect on agricultural crops and so again that that's an example of a company that started as as you know really pre-product pre-revenue you know i you know our program was, was fortunate to be able to work with that entrepreneur, invest in the company, you know, help get this idea off the ground. And today they've just been going gangbusters. And so they've raised, you know, tens of millions of dollars from the likes of, of True Ventures, RRE Ventures, 4490 Ventures, uh, Rise of the Rest, which is backed by Steve Case, the founder of AOL. And they just uh, continue to have, have a lot of success in what they're doing. Phenomenal. All right. So looking back, you've seen 
just hundreds of companies that have pitched to you and you've seen successes and obviously some failures. If you're a startup company and you're thinking about pitching to a pitch competition or pitching to an accelerator, what are the most common mistakes and what things can entrepreneurs or should they be thinking about doing to improve their chances of success? Yeah, it's, you know, my advice would be really focused on action. You know, the reality is that entrepreneurship is, you know, some would say a full contact sport. It's not a spectator sport. You know, it takes <laughs> now certainly that that doesn't mean planning is not involved, but you, you still need a plan is nothing unless you put it into motion. And I think too often entrepreneurs kind of build this perfect watch, if you or perfect clock, if you will, where everything's set. They have this uh, verbose business plan and it's based on so many assumptions, assumptions on top of assumptions on top of assumptions. And it's never been really stress test. And so I'm a, a big believer in the lean start, startup theory and, and, and movement, which is really predicated on what is the most fundamental assumption to your business? And you should go out and validate that. And that could be everything from talking to customers to setting up landing pages to taking pre-orders. You know, there's all different ways you can think about this or do it. But what I don't want is entrepreneurs to delude themselves into thinking kind of this notion of if you build it, they will come. And, you know, I'm going to set up everything. And at the end of the day, I'm just going to flick this light switch and everything moves into motion and, and happens perfectly. The reality is it's much more <laughs> ugly than that. And the reality is most of your assumptions are probably wrong. You know, sometimes you'll get them all right. And if you build it, they will come. does work. But usually it doesn't. And you're much better off just going out there and testing your assumption. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, just human nature is such that you tend to revert back to your core competency. So if I'm an engineer, I want to focus on engineering a product, more engineering cycles. If I'm a developer, I want to focus on programming and writing more code. But typically, (laughs) you should be focused on your blind spot, which for most people is talking to customers. It's going out and selling and and focusing on those pieces. And so the sooner you can do that and the sooner you can get more comfortable with that, or augment your team by bringing someone else in to do that part for you or partnering with you, the better. Because I hate to see you know entrepreneurs with, again, I think any idea can be a great idea, but it really comes down to both execution and market viability. Will the dog eat the dog food? Mm-hmm. What about some of the common weaknesses you see in some of the pitches? Because I have a feeling that you come across some really phenomenal ideas but either it's not presented very well or not organized very well, or maybe there's a credibility problem. Yeah. You know, I'd say uh, I hope that our team can do uh, a somewhat decent job of seeing through either a bad pitch. If we believe that the entrepreneurs are really formidable and there's a great business, a great idea there, you know, my, my hope is that we can see through you know things like a bad pitch. That being said, a good pitch only helps you. And so a pitch very much is important. And, you know, I'd say some of the, you know, these are some common pitfalls will be just not understanding your market enough. You know, you need to be the most obsessed person about what you're doing because the investor might be more of a generalist, even if they are a specialist in your industry, you need to prove that you know more about this than anyone else and just be obsessed with it. And it's just insatiably curious about what you're doing. What I would hate to see, so let me give you like a flagrant example of this. What I would hate to see is an entrepreneur come and pitch something. And during the pitch, maybe as the investor, potential investor, I'm going to Google a couple keywords and see a bunch of different results of competitors. And if I ask you about those competitors and either you've never heard of them or you claim that they're not competitors, you know, that's going to raise some red flags 
in my book. <laughs> because again, like if I'm just sitting here Googling it for the first time, hearing it for the first time, and you haven't necessarily thought about this, well, that I worry about how obsessed <laughs> you are with this problem or, or how curious you are about what you're doing. Exactly. Well, Generator has grown and evolved over the years. Talk about how the accelerator has changed and the programs have changed over the years. Yeah, you bet. I'd say our footprint has grown a lot. You know, so, you know, we started as a very much local Wisconsin program. Today we're in 13 states and provinces, two countries, both the U.S. and Canada. And so the kind of the scale of what we're doing has grown. So just like, you know, we want to practice what we preach, right, Doris? Like, you know, if we're telling our entrepreneurs to grow, grow, grow and scale and, and find new markets and new customers, we have tried to be self-reflective of that as well and kind of eating our own dog food. I, I realize I'm using this dog food analogy a lot. Uh, <laughs> you must like dogs, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I'm allergic to dogs. I don't even like dogs, oh, but, uh, oh, no. but we'll use it. <laughs> so, so we've scaled a lot, and that's giving us just a much broader network. And so a lot of the markets in which we operate are what I would call secondary or tertiary markets. And the unfortunate reality is that 79% of all venture capital goes to just three states. So that's California, New York, and Massachusetts. And even more wow. granularly, you could almost say that 79% of venture capital goes to just a handful of zip codes centered around you know, the San Francisco Bay Area and Silicon Valley, New York City, and Boston, right? And yet venture capital, we know empirically, is just such a, a tremendous source of growth and a highly levered asset class. So if you look at recent IPOs or the S&P 500, the Fortune 500, you know, the number of venture-backed companies relative to, to venture capital's percentage of GDP is just staggering. It's something like 0.1% of GDP, and yet venture-backed companies comprise like 25% of all private sector employment. So it has a tremendous ratcheting effect, and yet it's, wow. not, it's not getting into most of America. And so, you know, right, there are good ideas everywhere and smart teams of people with great ideas everywhere, right? I agree. And so a lot of it is how do we create density and create network effects when we don't have them in just Milwaukee or just Madison or just Minneapolis, right? And so for us, we're able to aggregate all these cities together. So these 23 cities in which we operate, they, they're not Silicon Valley or New York or Boston. They're all outside of those markets. So how can we aggregate those together so that resources can be a little bit more fluid and fungible? So you might be a great startup in Indianapolis, and through the generator network, you can access a mentor in Cincinnati or a corporate partner in Detroit or an investor in Toronto or a customer in Houston. All of These are all cities in which we operate in. And so by aggregating that network together, we think we're giving entrepreneurs and secondary markets just a much healthier chance at being successful. That is phenomenal. Look out to the next three to five years, and if you're successful, what does Generator look like? Gosh, that's a great question. You know, I think we want to continue on this growth path. You know, we started in two markets. Today, we're in 23. I would love to see that number double uh, because I think that that more than doubles our impact, you know, in, in these underserved markets. Um, you know, certainly we're, we have an eye towards ROI. We want our investments to ultimately be successful. We're only successful when the startups that we invest in are successful. Um, so seeing some some real strong successes on, on the startup uh, exit, liquidity, acquisition front. And then uh, we continue to explore new product lines and new ways of helping entrepreneurs. So the Generator Music and Fellowship.art programs are, are a great example. Uh, this year, during, during the pandemic, we launched a program called Generator Upskilling, where we partnered with Microsoft and LinkedIn to provide free digital skill uh, upskilling 
for un- and underemployed individuals. And then we help connect them with, with jobs that leverage these digital skill sets. That's everything from you know, computer programming to online customer service. So I think we're constantly challenging ourselves on, on what are new pathways that we can be relevant. And it all comes back to our mission, which uh, I'm remiss that I didn't start with that. But our mission is at Generator, we want to be the best partner for a community to invest in its best and brightest. And if we're myopically only focused on high tech, high growth, venture backable startups, that's such a small sliver of what makes up the richness of a community. And yet all these things are intertwined. You know, I go back to that example of if I'm a, a computer science graduate, you know, young person recently out of college, I might have the pick of my litter of, of well, high paying jobs in, in, in that field. And so it comes down to where do I want to live? And that could be everything from the lifestyle, the availability of housing, the overall economy, the arts, music and culture scene. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we're playing a role across that, that full spectrum within the communities in which we operate. Well, one of the things you've been very modest about is that I know Generator has won a number of awards. In fact, it's considered one of the top accelerator groups in the country. Talk about the metrics that are used to give accelerators a ranking. On what basis are the awards given? Sure. Because obviously you're doing some things very right. We keep trying. The report that, that you're referring to, there's an annual report called the Seed Accelerator Rankings Project. And so this is an academic piece of research. It's put on by some professors from Rice University and MIT who do this annual ranking. And for the last four years, Generator has been ranked amongst the top 15 accelerator programs in the country. And what I take a lot of pride in is that, A, we're the youngest in that top 15 in terms of when we started. And second of all, we're the only accelerator ranked in the top 15 that does not operate in a top 10 metro market. So again, I go back to we're not in Silicon Valley or New York or Boston or these, these main venture capital hubs. We're in these secondary markets. And so, you know, we take a lot of pride in being able to say we can do this national caliber work here in the Midwest, here in these underserved markets. As for what they're looking at, it's a combination of quantitative and qualitative. So on the quantitative side, we have to do a confidential data disclosure about everything from all the companies we've invested in, what are their current valuations, how much follow-on financing have they raised, how soon after they graduate from our accelerator do they raise the, those financings, who has been acquired, how much are they acquired for. So that's on the quantitative side. Wow. So, yeah, a lot of metrics. This isn't just like they Absolutely. stick their finger up in the air and, and see yeah. you know what feels good. This is serious stuff. And so kudos to you, Troy, and the whole team at Generator. So I knew the hour was going to fly by, and it has. And so one final question before we let you go is, if people are interested in learning more about Generator and its programs, uh, maybe they're trying to figure out whether an accelerator at all is the right fit for them, you know, maybe they just want to brainstorm about some of the other resources that are available for entrepreneurs in their local ecosystem, whether it's the Wisconsin ecosystem or elsewhere in some of the markets you operate, what's the best way for them to reach you or someone else at Generator to help them get started? You bet. So the first resource I recommend to people is hit up our website, generator.com. That's spelled G-E-N-E-R, the number eight, T-O-R.com. And the second means would be email. So my email is Troy, T-R-O-Y, 
at generator.com. Again, that's G-E-N-E-R, the number eight, T-O-R.com. Fantastic. Well, Troy, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate thank you, you taking the time to share some of the great things that are going on at Generator. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. All right, folks, that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks especially again today to our guest, Troy Vossler, co-founder of Generator, the highly acclaimed accelerator based in Wisconsin. Now, you can find more helpful information and resources on my website for entrepreneurs, globalocityservices.com. There's a library there of free blogs and tools, podcasts, and other resources. Now, because this show is for you, my listeners, my door is always open. I would love to hear from you. If you have comments, questions, challenges, or just want to share a great resource, or just shoot the breeze, please email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakes, lakes plural, lakesradio.org. I promise I'll respond. Be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern, when we'll have another great guest and topic. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneurship.